Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Aren't you thankful to be here this morning? I want you to do me a a favor right now because we're going to be in two places at the very beginning of this message. I want you to find the book of Daniel. We're going to be reading some opening thoughts out of the book of Daniel and Jeremiah chapter 29. All right, so this is uh, when you first became a believer, you probably learned about Daniel chapter 1 on flannel graph, and if you went to a Christian school, (laughs) Jeremiah 2911 was at your graduation service. This is encapsulated your, uh, your growing up years, but I'm hoping that we can reorient ourselves to some themes in here that aren't just for kids. Amen? That's what we want us to, I want to look at. We're going to be starting a series in Daniel, and uh, I had been talking to my son a while ago um, just about different moments in history here while I've been in ministry, things that I've seen across our nation Uh, And there is one thing that I see God doing in the church on a consistent basis, season after season, and that is that he will stir congregations, not based on a popularity contest, but based on his word, because his heart for his people is consistent, he will stir up people to have either the same themes or even the same scriptures go all the way as a wash across our nation, because he wants his people to hear a certain thought. And the book of Daniel has been taught uh, quite popularly in these last few months, and some folks have focused on just those things that are end times driven, and Daniel has some of that, but also some have focused on Daniel's uh, and his friends' stands that they've made, and we're going to talk about those things. But I want us to consider a different perspective because what I have not heard and what I believe that God is doing as he is bringing this book up in the church in this day, the principles out of this book. I think he wants us to remember how it all started. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at the beginning right before. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the Disney line, right? We're going to start at the very be- beginning, the very best place to start. We're going to start there and understand how did Daniel end up in Babylon. There's an old uh, fable that's told about the emperor and his new clothes. Yes, we have a, we have a fan. Uh, the emperor's new clothes is a story that's told. It's a cautionary tale. Um, there was this king who was always wanting something new. In fact, he wanted the greatest uh, refinement. He wanted to be seen as uh, the most well-dressed man. He wanted everybody to look at him and, and have an experience when they saw him. In fact, he had an experience when he would see himself, and he ran out of new clothes, new ways to model. And so he brings these people in who were just keen to meet his pride with their new outfits. But we all know the story. The new outfit that they brought them was actually, brought him was actually nothing. They said that only those who were really like pure of heart and really significant, only those with the greatest taste could see it. And they literally caused him to pay for nothing. He's wearing nakedness in front of all of his people. And he said, man, they're really going to have an experience when they see me. 
Well, his people knew it, but they didn't also want to be the ones to out the king because they felt like maybe they were being told that they didn't have style or they didn't have insight or they didn't have that high level of, ins- uh, of uh, ability to uh, dress themselves. And so they were concerned culturally at outing the king. It was a little boy who points out, the guy's not wearing any clothes. I want us to consider for a moment this morning that not certain individuals in our culture, but we as a culture have become the king. We have allowed charlatans to dress us. We, out of a desire for refinement and a desire for significance and a desire for an experience and a desire to be seen as prominent, have allowed charlatans to tell us that we are well-dressed with their thoughts, but we are naked in the eyes of God. So a kid's tale is the perfect place, right, for us to get some wisdom. What do you do when all of your cultural underpinnings from every, everyone has become a charlatan? There is no place for us to turn where we are not sold. Filth, wrong thinking, unwholesome ideas, and we've begun to put God's name on sin. It didn't work with the golden calf. It won't work today. But how do we stay pure? What is it that we have to look at? What do we have to know? I think that the reason Daniel was in Babylon is the reason that the book was written. Daniel turns hope the light of hope on in a very dark time, and I believe that's one of the messages we have to take away. So we're going to read this book. With those thoughts, Daniel chapter 1 and Jeremiah 29, I want us to read these things thoughtfully, but I want us to stand as we do so. Jeremiah, We're going to start with Jeremiah 29. If you have your paper Bible, we'll be in Verse 1, then verses 4 through 19. Jeremiah says this, And this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Just an editorial note. There's already a group that has gone out. Already the king's sons and the leaders have been in captivity in Babylon. And there was a small group of them that had said, don't join Babylon, don't go into the city, separate, don't go there. This is Jeremiah's word to that group that refused to accept God's punishment for their sin. He says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to the exiles, I deported, if you've got a paper Bible, underline that from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue, get this, the well-being of the city that I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Remember, that place they were deported was called Babylon. 
For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you. I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations and the places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. You have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says concerning the king sitting on David's throne and concerning all the people living in this city. That is concerning your brothers who did not go with you into exile. This is what the Lord of armies says. I'm about to send a sword and famine and plague against them, and I will make them like rotten figs, and they are inedible because they are so bad. I'll pursue them with the sword and famine and plague, and I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and a desolation, an object of scorn, a disgrace among the nations where I have banished them. I will do this because they have not listened to my words. This is the Lord's declaration. The words that I sent to them with my servants, the prophets, time and time again. And you, too, have not listened. This is the Lord's declaration. Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it, and the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to come to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. That's an important phrase. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledge, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from the Judahites, were Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave them Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Do you believe that that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Father, as we consider the shocking words that we have just read, as we begin to drink in what you actually said, not only to those people, but the principles that remain to this day, I pray that you would help us 
to have a right perspective as we read this book, but also, Father, to orient ourselves, to be thinking right about your word, your scriptures, the things that you say we don't have permission to alter in order to get a good feeling today. We must listen to what you say if we are to thrive at all. Father, we commit ourselves to you and ask that you would shape our hearts to listen, cause our feet to change direction, open our eyes, cause them, Father, to see those things that will shape our heart and change our lives. We pray that you do this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to highlight just a couple of things this morning that will help us as we study the book of Daniel, and the first thing that I want you to understand as we come to this book, and I believe that Daniel's storyline, as hard as it is to outline, it follows the prophecies of Jeremiah, chapter 23 through 31. He, he unpacks there, and we see Daniel multiple times interacting with that section of verses. Um, but the first thing that I want you to see this morning is that Daniel's arrival in Babylon is a cautionary tale. Marvin Winans, uh, his family is known mostly for singing, but he's a pastor, and he tells a story about growing up. Uh, B.B. and C.C. Winans are in his family, uh, and they were uh, little youngsters. He was an older brother, but he said, I was a cruel older brother, and he says, I used to get great delight in telling B.B. that he wasn't actually part of the family. And so he said, one day, the little guy was irritating me, and so he, he came up to him and he said, Bibi, you're not actually even part of the family. Um, Dad just found you on the street and wanted to make sure that you had shelter, and he brought you in, but you're not actually part of the family. And Bibi ran to his dad and was crying about it, and his dad promptly gave Marvin a whooping. And he said, I didn't mind getting a spanking. It was so delightful to see Bibi cry. That's brothers for you, Right. Well, he did it over and over again, and B.B. every single time ran to his dad and said, Dad, is this true? And every single time, his dad would get frustrated and say, No, B.B., that's not true. And then he would go, and he would spank Marvin. But finally, one day, his father put his foot down, and he said, Listen, B.B., you've got to quit listening to these things. Every single time that they say this, I give them a spank, and I tell you it's not true. But if you don't start listening to me, I'm going to spank you too. That's what he said. Now, whether or not you're for or against spanking, the, the tale is a cautionary one. We need to listen to what our Father says, or there are consequences for us, even if we're the ones that are the object of his love. Isn't that true? Why is Daniel in Babylon? Daniel is in Babylon because the parents and pastors, literally in uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they are listed as shepherds, the same word used in the New Testament. The parents and pastors of Israel spoke what was in their mind, not what was from God's lips. I want you to hear, uh, and I don't believe we have them up on the screen, but just hear Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23 verses 16 and 17. says this, this is what the Lord of armies, once again, every time he says the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies, this is his battle name. So he's rising up in full armament saying, this is important and I'm willing to go to war over it. This is what the Lord of armies says, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, for they are deluding you. They speak visions from their own minds. Verse 16, not from the Lord's mouth. 
They keep on saying to those who despise me that the Lord has spoken and you will have peace. You can find these people, by the way, in every single age. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his own heart, no harm will come to you. Isn't that shocking? Verse 21, I did not send out these prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. If they had really stood in my counsel, they would have enabled my people to hear my words. They would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. The prophets weren't actually saying things at that time that God wanted the people to hear. They were saying things that they thought the people wanted to hear, and they put God's name on it, and it led them deeper into a cycle that ultimately led to God's wrath. It ultimately led to justice. It's a shocking thing. What happens when your want meets with somebody who is greedy to have your appreciation? Uh, there, there's a woman who went to the market and she wanted desperately to have chicken for dinner. She had enough uh, guests coming over that she wanted a large one, so she goes into the butcher, and the butcher wasn't known for his honesty, but he did have good meat. So she goes in and she says, I would really like to have a chicken, and she didn't know that he only had one left. So he brings out the chicken and he puts it on the, uh, the table there. They measure it. It's about two pounds, and she says, well, man, I, I really love the look of this bird, but I was really hoping for one that was larger. So he goes back into the back room. He doesn't have any other chickens, so he brings that frozen bird right back out. But this time he laid his thumb on the scale, and it was another pound and a half heavier. She goes, oh, I like that one better. I'll take them both. (laughs) Your greed runs into somebody else's dishonesty. You both end up on the short end of the stick. We live in a nation that's just like that. When we speak what is on our mind, not what is on God's lips, when we find what God says hard to say, so we just rephrase it in a way that the people around us will feel a little more comfortable, we're on dangerous ground. There's the second thing, though, that gives us a a caution, and that is that nationalism and spiritual pride, man, it just feels so current, doesn't it? Nationalism and spiritual pride cause the leaders to sell their children for temporary peace and prosperity. Now you're saying in your heart, you're just making some stuff up here so it will fit the times. I want you to look, Isaiah chapter 39, it's actually right in here. Isaiah 39, Uh, here is this moment, Isaiah is speaking about the king Hezekiah. Hezekiah has almost died. And he, he turns his face to the wall, and the Lord tells him, you're not going to die. I'm giving you 15 more years. How shocking and how amazing would that be? Well, instead of being humbled by that moment, Hezekiah is filled with pride. And it says in verse 3 of chapter uh, 39, and then the, the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and asked him, what did these men say? Where did they come from? So he enters into a scene, Isaiah does, and Hezekiah is just sending a group of emissaries away, all of these Uh, satraps and leaders that have come from Babylon. It's a little tiny place. It's of no significance in the time of Hezekiah. He's not aware that they're going to become prominent in any single way. But with all of this pride, Hezekiah is like, God saved me. Our nation is significant. We have wealth and prosperity that's abounding. Hezekiah replies to him and says, they came to me from a distant country, from Babylon. 
And Isaiah asked, well, what have they seen in your palace? Hezekiah answered, they've seen everything in my palace. There isn't anything in my treasuries that I didn't show them. He wanted to wow these guys. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of armies. There's that name again. Look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left. Some of your descendants who come from you, remember the name Judahites? Remember the royal lineage that we saw in Daniel? Some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, what would you say if you were a father or a grandfather to that word? You've just received a remission from the Lord by turning your face to the wall and weeping and saying, give me, give me my life. You know what repentance looks like. What would Hezekiah do, this righteous man? Well, look at his response. It says, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. For he thought, at least there'll be peace and security during my lifetime. He wasn't worried about that next generation. He was worried about himself. Peace and prosperity at all costs. We assign that to former generations. We look at other people and say, oh, that's all that you're trying to do. But if we truly look at our motives, when we fall short in Scripture, it's because we want peace or prosperity and we want it our way. The third way that Daniel's arrival as a cautionary trail is that God declared that captivity was necessary in order to get his people refocused on his plan. Jeremiah 29, our chapter we read there, verses 10 through 14. For this is what the Lord says, when the 70 years for Babylon are complete. By the way, those were prophesied in chapter 25 of Jeremiah. He says, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plan for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. We will see a moment in the book of Daniel where Daniel realizes the people have yet to catch up to the depth of this verse, and he's afraid that God won't keep his promise. But here's one of the things that you need to understand. There is nobody in power in any generation, but the hand of God has put them there. Amen? And you do not have to bow to some false leader in order to have peace and prosperity. You need to bow to the living God. The only one who can save you or bring you into the right place or take you where you need to go is the God of the Bible. And he brings them out of a profound, powerful place, back to a land where they have no leaders, no standing army, nobody to set them free. But God does it by his power alone. Is he still the same God today? We need to be reminded that he is. Daniel's story is a cautionary tale now very quickly. Daniel's storyline is also a revelatory trail. How many of you guys remember the, uh, the old commercial for Prego? You remember that? Oh, yeah. It's in there. 
Remember that's a little Italian family, and the kid comes home for college, and dad's cooking, and it's, uh, he's got the jar of Prego sitting there on the countertop, and he goes, Dad, what are you doing? Does mom know you're cooking with Prego? And he goes, yeah, kid, it's, it's wonderful. It's going to taste awesome. And he says, no, what about real tomatoes? And the guy goes, it's in there. How about the garlic? It's in there. Oregano? It's in there. Real home-cooked flavor? It's in there. You remember that? Maybe just me. Anybody want spaghetti for lunch today? We're going to go through the book of Daniel, and all of the things that we are facing today, there is some little byline or thought that will encourage us, a principle. Why? Because it's in there. Daniel shows us how to submit in our culture without assimilation. He shows us how to view the culture that we are called to live in in every generation. He calls us to focus on God's word, not our wants, and what the results of that is. He tells us how we are to view history and our place in it. He shows us how to study prophecy with clarity and anticipation, knowing that God's word is always true. He doesn't lie. Do you know that? Folks, do you know that God doesn't lie? He tells us how to study prophecy. He shows us how to live faithfully in a pluralistic society, and he shows us the importance of prayer getting on our knees before we do anything else. It's a revelatory trail. But also, Daniel's suffering is an apologetic for trial. Casper, Wyoming star, a newspaper, tells the story of Charles Taylor. Uh, He was a man that was actually busted for ripping off a uh, sporting goods store, uh, and the claim made by them was among all of the other things that he had stolen, uh, he had stolen one of the nicest pair of boots in the store. So he shows up uh, at the trial and has the greatest lawyer in the area, and the trial is actually going his way. The jury of his peers has been separated off for deliberation, and Charles kicks back in his seat kicks his feet up onto the table with all of his pride and glares at the judge. Well, the judge looks at his shoes and he sees that he has a tan pair of boots on, just like the description of the ones that were stolen. He has an FBI friend that's also an investigator for him, and he says, I just want you to tell me the lot and the number of the boots that were stolen from that store. They get those for him, and and when the jury comes in, he says, before we read the verdict, sir, can I have you take off those shoes? I want to see the lot and the number of those shoes. And Charles Taylor had actually wore the shoes that he was uh, trying to say he had never even been to the store, but he's wearing the shoes that he was accused of stealing. He wore them to court. The trial revealed his character. Every major player in the book of Daniel has their character and their heart revealed through trial. Nebuchadnezzar, in the middle of this book, comes to faith because of a trial. His son is broken and loses power because of his his inability to stand in a trial. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they actually walk with God physically because of a trial. Daniel is revealed and approved through trial. The world, described in prophecy, 
becomes broken as a result of trials that are put on them in order for them to see God, but they refuse to see it. The Messiah would be rejected and then received all because of trials that Daniel describes. And the kingdom that is guaranteed to come and that is still future arrives on the heels of trial. Trial is in the center of this entire book. Every single chapter shows how God uses variegations and colors of trial to get people to look to him rather than to themselves. Your circumstances are not static, and God's voice is not silent. Amen? But we need to get on our knees and look to the God who is in control of history, in control of our lives, and submit. What is the point of the book of Daniel at the very end? He turns on the light of hope and he looks at every single one of us and he says, this is not the end. It's not the end. God is not done. Do you know that? Birth pangs. The product for the believer is that we are actually growing into the family that God had always wanted us to be. The kingdom arrives because of the birth pangs. What we are experiencing even in our generation are birth pangs that prepare us for a joyful, first of all, for some of you, a joyful first time meeting. But we will actually see our Savior face to face. Do you believe it? Yes. Daniel turns that hope light back on. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts to study this book and to be in awe, to be shocked at what it is that you have actually said in your word. We pray that you would enable us to see what your words actually say. In every single generation, you put a phrase, you put um, a reminder, you put people in place who look to your word, and like men of Issachar, they know the times and they know what your word has to say about it, and they announce those things to the people. You are not silent even today. We don't have to hunt and peck for what your word says. We just have to yield to it. Father, forgive us for those moments when we find what you say in your word to be hard and we don't follow it. Forgive us as we take a look around and we try to reframe what we're seeing in a way that is palatable. There's no way to make sin palatable. But first, in the household of faith, we pray that you would purify our hearts. Cause us to repent of our willful desire to hear what we want to hear and to say what we want to say and put your name on our opinion. Forgive us. Cause us to break. But then, Father, we pray that you would cause us to shine as bright lights in a dark age, as the gospel and your glory are the only gift that we can give this generation. Help us to shout it out that there is still hope in the midst of real calamity. The people around us are both physically and metaphorically sick. Father, help us to meet a generation that does not know the answer with the truth of your word, the balm for their wounds, the hope that they need. Help them to see Jesus through our lives and our speech. We pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.